May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Last week we were invited to wake up. During the week I was asked what I thought we as a parish needed to wake up to. And I gave an answer, but I wondered as I gave that answer how you might answer that question. So I'm going to give you a minute or two to talk to your neighbour. What do you think we need to wake up to? I thought it was a very good question. So have a conversation with your neighbour for a moment. So what, what do we need to wake up to as a parish? Well, see, we didn't know whether you meant personally or as a parish. How did you answer it? Uh, as a parish. Okay. All right. Is that as far as you got? Yeah. Okay. Oh, just well, we had some ideas. Okay. What were your ideas? <laughs> well, we were just talking about when, you know, next year is going to be quite a pivotal year, isn't it? Because you're moving on and, and we'll have a discernment process and we'll decide how viable we are, all of that sort of stuff. But then a new person presumably will come in and hopefully maybe there will be changes. Yeah. There will be changes even when you try not to change very much. The next person will do things differently from me, so there will just be those kind of changes. Any other things we need to wake up to? I think you've got to feel that you're part of a huge community and you may not be able to bring them to church but you can talk to people face to say did you know there's going to be a you know, carols on the Lord I've been telling people would you like to come it's available yeah. and but talk to people like people are struggling so how's your Christmas going and, and probably, you know but just in friendliness yep. communicating to the people if you meet strangers asking them how they're doing because it is a time when a lot of people may be on their own. So yeah. trying to bring them yeah. to feel they're part of the community. Yeah. Any others? I need to make up the Christmas is like in a few days' time I still haven't put my Christmas tree. <laughs> Seven days. <laughs> Seven days. Eight days. Eight days. Not Christmas even. Yes. Seven days. Well, I'm not allowed to touch our Christmas tree because my, the woman in my life liked to have colour-coordinated Christmas trees. So last year it was red, and I am a more chaos theory approach to Christmas trees, which is let's throw the tinsel on the trees and put everything up and it'll look amazing. Um, but no. Last year I was not allowed. I was allowed to put up one piece of red tinsel and then it was put back properly after I've done it. Incorrectly. So yeah. I don't even I, I think my contribution last year was I bought the tree. That was it. People can get really overwhelmed by the state of the world and in our country and everything. We 
That's right. But very good answers, all of them. Uh, so I, kind of along those lines then, uh, want to talk a little bit about our passages and how they might help us do that. And so uh, this morning we heard John's, uh, John the, the Gospel writer John, who, so last week we had Mark and him talking about John the Baptizer, and this week we have John, the Gospel of John, talking about John the Baptizer, or some people say John the Witness. So unlike the other three Gospels, in John's Gospel, John the Baptizer doesn't baptize Jesus. I mean, he might have, but it's not talked about. So he's more the witness, and we heard that a lot in this morning's reading. John the witness. And... It's this gospel which actually talks about John being in Jordan beyond, uh, Bethany beyond the Jordan. So there are two Bethanies. There's the Bethany um, just outside of Jerusalem, uh, which is on the West Bank. And if you stand in Jerusalem, you can see Bethany and the wall that surrounds it. Well, you can't actually see Bethany. This is a wall, a big, high concrete wall. Uh, and then the other Bethany is this Bethany, which is on the Jordan side, the country Jordan, the Jordan side of the Jordan River. And that meant to get to here, John, wasn't an easy journey. If you were coming from Jerusalem, it was a day's walk from Bethany, which is on top of the Mount of Olives. So you had to go out of the thing and up the hill, which is quite a steep hill, and then down through the Judean wilderness down to Jericho. So that's a day's walk. And then it's further to get to, to the Jordan River. And then... You had to find some way of crossing the river, either wading across it or some other means. So to get to see John, you actually had to really want to hear him and to be involved in that. It wasn't just a, a kind of day trip to see what was going on. He was making it very difficult. And when we hear about what John is doing, we sometimes forget, like we hear about him, baptism for repentance, that makes sense to us. But actually, in his world... For the forgiveness of sins, there's a whole rite of sacrifices at the temple. So you didn't go and see John, you went to the temple. And you would start at the Pool of Siloam. So if you were a pilgrim going to Jerusalem, you would spend the night in Bethany. And then you would go down the Mount of Olives, down to the Pool of Siloam, which is kind of right down at the end of the ridge where the big pools were. And you can still be in those pools today. And then you walked as a pilgrim up the ridge, which is a bit of a trek, to be honest. And then up the, the massive steps, which are still there, into the temple. Those gates are blocked off. So uh, there was a hole, and you would wash ritually in the pool of Siloam. Siloam. That's, that's why those pools were there. So there was already a whole rite around what one did to, for the forgiveness of sins. And so the fact that John is offering baptism for the forgiveness of sins would have made the temple hierarchy and a lot of the people in society very anxious. This is something new and it's disturbing. And it would have been new because this is a way of like, seeing the world differently and living in that world differently. And it's a right of 
kind of allegiance to this new way. It marked you out as someone different, which is exactly what our baptism is. It is about entering into a new community and seeing the world differently and as a member of that community living in the world differently. And that was certainly how the first church operated. And the, what John was offering wasn't new. There were other sects and groups like the Qumran community who did exactly the same thing. When you joined that community, you would go through a, a, what we would call a baptism rite. And that allowed you to enter into that community and to be part of that community and to live in the world differently as a member of that community. So all of this would have made the leadership in Jerusalem anxious because it's those kind of groups that in the end started the Jewish revolt in 66 that led to the disaster of 70 CE and the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and the mass slaughter and enslavement of so many people and the dispersion of the final dispersion of Jewish people around the Roman Empire and beyond. So what is going on here isn't just a nice baptism that people could pop down the road to. It was something that had a radical edge to it that the early church took seriously. And so the accounts of James the Just, who is James the brother of Jesus in Acts, uh, he was eventually... Uh, stoned to death by the Jewish authorities because of how the early church lived in the temple, caring for the poor, caring for the widow, caring for the orphan, kind of showing up the wealthy of the, the temple, uh, the priests of the temple and all the Jerusalem elite and their lack of care for the poor by doing it themselves and their radical way of living made people very anxious. So those are our roots, this new way of seeing the world and our new way of living in it. Now the interesting thing about is the Gospel writer makes it really clear that John the baptizer, John the witness, is not Elijah, even though he stood under Elijah's hill. And he's not Moses, even though he stood under Mount Nebo where Moses looked out across the Promised Land. I mean, the Mount Nebo is very high up compared to where John was, but it's, it's there, he's underneath it. And he was baptising on the place where the people of God would have crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land. And that he's not the Messiah. So who is he? He is a witness. So in answer to the question... Why do you baptize if you aren't the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? John answers, I baptize with water. Someone greater stands among you whom you don't recognize. That's a really interesting line. Someone stands among you whom someone greater stands among you whom you don't recognize. So going back to our question, what do we need to pay attention to and wake up to as a parish? At a very basic level, we are to wake up to God's presence amongst us when we often don't recognise it. So where might we look for that presence? So um, this is uh, 
at the, um, the church of the uh, visitation, so uh, where Mary came to visit Elizabeth, um, just outside of Jerusalem. It's in this lovely, uh, lovely little town, um, a Jewish town full of artists and others, uh, which is a beautiful place to visit. Uh, with a sad history. So this was a Palestinian village. The people left in the Nakba, weren't allowed home. The land was claimed by the government of Israel uh, and it's now this lovely little village. Uh, but there are no Palestinians. None of the original inhabitants are allowed here. So when you go there, it would be very easy to, to miss that history. Uh, it's also a really beautiful church. Um, was one of the many churches I struggled with, with these beautiful mosaics in the church, uh, all with very white, holy families and Jesus. And I was constantly confronted by the fact that in the Holy Land, where people are, are darker generally, because, you know, they live in the Holy Land, we kept... The Franciscans kept portraying Jesus as very white, with blue eyes. And I went, oof, this is weird. Like it just kept confronting me everywhere I went. But out in the courtyard is this beautiful statue of, of the pregnant Mary and Elizabeth meeting each other, and baby to baby meeting each other as well. And behind that are, are parts of the Magnificat in languages from all around the world. So it is a lovely spot to go and visit. And they serve really good ice cream down at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> um, so where might we look for this presence? Well, at one level, that's what Mark's Gospel is all about. Uh, Mark wrote his Gospel so that his community would know where to look for the presence of God in their midst, where to look for the resurrected Christ in their midst. And Mark's gospel ends in a really weird place, as we have it. So you might say, oh no, John, it kind of carries on, but it actually finishes at chapter 16, verse 8, where the merit, where the women run away afraid, having met the risen Christ. That's it. That's the last bit of Mark's gospel that Mark wrote. Everything that came after that was written by someone else, and people know that because it's written differently. So each person has a particular way of writing. Somebody else wrote the ending. So maybe Mark had another ending and it got lost. But a lot of people say, no, that's actually where Mark wanted to finish his gospel because he wanted people to talk about where they met the risen Christ where they were and not to see the resurrection as something that just happened in Jerusalem. So he wanted people to know, to wake up to the presence of Christ in their midst and to respond to that. That was the point of his gospel. John's gospel is also about that. His whole gospel points to Jesus' presence amongst us. We can see that in the way he talks about the miracles. They're called miracles in the synoptic gospels. In John's gospel, they're called signs. They are signposts. They point to something else. And whenever we get stuck on the miracles themselves, John would say, no, you're missing the point. They're signposts. They point to something else. Look to where the signs are pointing. They're pointing to the presence of the light among us. Now quite a few commentators would suggest that John the baptizer, or John the witness, 
is in fact our model for being a disciple. Our role is to be a witness, just as John the Baptizer was a witness. Not getting carried away by our own importance, but to just be a witness to that light, as Maggie was saying. So where might we look for that presence? Well, we heard the passage from Isaiah this morning, which is an important passage for the Gospel writers. It's the passage that in Luke's Gospel, Jesus reads in the, in the synagogue in Nazareth, and then he gets into all sorts of trouble because he says, you have heard this passage uh, fulfilled today in your presence. And people get a bit upset about that and want to throw him off a cliff. But it's also... And this is why I have this picture up here. Sitting behind Mary's song. Her song of praise and protest. So you're probably wondering why didn't we have a psalm today? Because the psalm was the Magnificat. And so we kind of alluded to it in our gradual hymn. And we will sing about it again in our final hymn. I thought we're going to sing it twice. We don't need to say it as well. Uh, and it is a song of praise and protest. And I talked about this last year, but I'll talk about it again. One of the more bizarre experiences of my life was being in uh, Napier Cathedral last year for the installation of the new dean. And uh, we sang the Magnificat and we had a beautiful choir made up of some of the wealthy and elite of Hawke's Bay and an orchestra. And we had uh, all us clergy dressed up in our beautiful finery. And uh, we had deans from other parts, some of whom are very high church with all their magnificent stuff on. And they, one of them had a beretta on and they were taking their hats off at the appropriate moments and crossing themselves and bowing themselves. And I just looked around and I went, we are in a, a cathedral full of the important people from Hawke's Bay. And I looked around and I went, we are the wrong people to be singing this. Like we're doing this very beautiful thing. But this is actually not about us. Well, it is about us. We're amongst the rich and the powerful who uh, get sent empty away. We're the ones who are full. Who should be singing this? Well, none of the people here, but the homeless people who are living around the cathedral in Napier. That's who this song is for. But we keep missing the point of her song. And where does that come from, that vision? In part from Isaiah, the passage we heard today, also the song of Hannah. Some of you might want to say that to me. So, all of that kind of invites us to look for the presence of God amongst us in places that we might not normally look. The Gospel writer describes Jesus as the light. The whole point of that first part of John's Gospel is describing Jesus as light. And so we are invited to wake up to this light in our midst. The light that is animating. The animating force within creation. The light that is the animating force for justice within creation. The light bringing about shalom, God's peace, God's wholeness, God's completeness. Because peace can only be found in the way of God when all have justice. So where do we look for this light, we might ask? Well, we might... Uh, well, it's a good question. And so one of the things to, that I think helps us answer that is to remember that within the biblical world, 
The light that allowed people to see resided within you. So when you went blind, the light went out. So we always think of the light being outside of us. We see because the sun shines for people. People could see because of the light within their eyes that allowed to see what was outside of them. And so when they went blind, the light went out. And when Jesus heals them, he rekindles that light within them. So first and foremost, light was within, within a person rather than outside a person. So where do we look for the light? Within us. That's the first place. That's the place that will allow, if we kindle and nurture that light, that will allow us to see the presence of Christ in our community around us. The light within us allows us to see Christ's presence in the world and allows us to bear witness as John models for us. Advent is a time to wake up to the presence of the light of the world in our midst. In part we do that by taking time to nurture that light within. And so Advent is a time where we are invited to spend time paying attention to that light that is within us. That light that we might see the light of Christ in our world and give witness to it. And when we wake up to this light, when we give witness to this light, well, many of the spiritual writers would say, then we will know joy, no matter what has happened to us. And so if we read people like St. Francis of Assisi, who centred his life on that light, his great story about perfect joy when he was talking to his brother, I can't remember if it was Maceo Leo, unimportant point, uh, he then lists all the things that might go wrong when they get to the friary, how they're left out in the cold and the snow and told to go away and they're beaten by the doorkeeper and roundly abused and he says, in this is perfect joy. Now we would not say that's perfect joy, but it is because he knew the light that was within him and he could see the light of Christ around him. And so he could live perfect joy even in that situation. That is the kind of joy that we are invited to on this Gaudate day in Advent. And I put some notes in the pew sheet about how we can nurture joy, which I've preached about in the past. So to finish, I'm going to uh, use a thing that I wrote for the Advent Word thing, which I've now probably, I don't know how long has that been going, two weeks, and I'm probably over a week behind. So hopefully I'll finish by Easter next year. That's quite the point, but never mind. Um, it's called Presence, and, uh, and as I wrote it, I thought, I, mean, it was, I was thinking about that conversation and what we need to wake up to. And then I looked at the Bible passages and I went, yeah, this is definitely what we need to pay attention to. So as I read this, I invite you to think about how we can be nurture that light within us and wake up to the presence of the light of God in us and in our community. In the ordinariness, the messiness of each day, the routine and mundane, the difficult and sad. God is present. In the extraordinary, the joy, the glimpses that take our breath away, 
when we stop suddenly seeing God is present. May each moment be one we live God's presence. So I invite you to reflect on how we might wake up the presence, the light of God within us and around us.